back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you are doing well. And in our podcast today, I'm going to be talking with Keith Merrin. And Keith is the founder and managing partner of Leadership Pathways. We're going to be talking about transformational coaching, the art of transformational coaching today. We'll go right into the kind of nuts and bolts, the ins and outs of how Keith sees transformation working within the clients that he supports. He's a, an executive executive coach and we'll talk about how we can help our clients become aware of the personal paradigms that have got a grip on them that enables them to begin to become free of those and transform into new, more empowering paradigms. As I said, Keith is the founder and managing partner of Leadership Pathways, which is an organizational consulting and leadership development firm. He's worked with organizations such as Roblox, Swift Navigation, Fiber, Hewlett-Packard, Freddie Mac, Medcath, and General Public Utilities. He has designed over 100 seminars and workshops for leaders and is the author of several books, including Riding the Wave, Designing Your Organization for Enduring Success, Consulting and Mastery, How to Make the Biggest Difference, and The Golden Flame, The Heart and Soul of Remarkable Leadership. All right, so if you like this podcast, please feel free to share it. I'd love to get the word out. And if you're not on our mailing list, if you want to stay in the loop about all the things that we create, which are not this podcast, and you're a coach that is dedicated to your craft and to your own actualization and deep service of the world, then you could consider doing so. Then you can head to coachesrising.com, scroll down the homepage there, put your name in the sign-up box, and you will stay in the loop. All right, so here is the podcast with Keith Marin. Well, Keith, uh, it's great to be with you. And actually, I just love for you if you could restate what you just shared with me is what your goal for our conversation would be today yeah uh well i it, it, in some sense it's the whole reason for um writing the book uh the art of transformational coaching and 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 offering workshops and 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 being here um maybe, maybe a little bit of brief background uh, I not until recently, I've never really hung out my shingle as a coach. I've hung out my shingle as a organizational consultant, organization development consultant, and, and have just done a ton of coaching in the context of that, as well as with individuals separate from my clients, organizations. And I, I've observed that many, while many coaches, you and I, and many that I know, want want to be uh, deep, uh, create a deep experience for our clients. They want to, uh, as do I, uh, affect a, a meaningful change or a transformation in, in our clients and or inspire or cultivate however you, way you want to look at it. And while, while that's a desire and they learn how to ask good questions and how to be present and how to um, how to be with another in a way that increases the likelihood they'll, they'll transform. I've been somewhat surprised by um, uh, what little thought the coaches have about the transformational process itself. It's almost as if they have s techniques here and there or good questions 
here and there or or some perspective on transformation and insight that is necessary for transformation but they haven't many coaches haven't really thought through what is my model what is my what is my paradigm for how I go about helping ignite a transformation in others um, and and so my my aim in writing the book was to offer a perspective that is a holistic way of understanding a person and uh, uh, understanding the nature and process of transformation. And so I hope that I can share some of my own thoughts here and maybe invite yours and and together we can uh, shape an image of what, a more full image of what transformation could be for an individual. Yeah, beautiful. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great inquiry. I think it's a very powerful question for any coach, isn't it? To stop and think, what is my model, my, my map of transformation or the, how I see that working, you know, yes. not just to, not just to imbibe what they've learned from their coach training, but actually to really deeply question it. And, yeah. um, I, I actually makes me want to ask you then, so how, how do you hold that? How do you hold what it takes to do deeply transformational coaching what that path is yeah well you know it 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 starts with the question what is transformation in some sense and and then we can go from there um i would i would say that transform the the word transform says a bit it's the it's a shift of form um a meaningful shift and of course it's a shift in a positive direction the 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 shift that we want to um, we want to uh, inspire in our clients, and so it's a shift in form. And so, what form would be the question? And I don't think when I work with a client or you work with a client, I'm shifting everything, mm. uh, or or I'm helping them shift everything. Interesting. I sometimes use the word active. I'm transforming the client. It's actually not that. I'm not transforming the client. I'm inviting the client to transform. So the agent in the transformational process is the client. But what, what form are we transing in, a, in effect um, becomes the, uh, the starting point for me. And, and my answer would be uh, the fundamental paradigm or paradigms that are shaping the problem that the client comes to us with. So clients come and say, hey, would you help me? And uh, we, we've, we, of course, ask, what would you like help in? And, and the answer will be, well, I have this problem. I have this pattern. I have this tendency. I tend to, you know, I, I work a lot with leaders, so it would be with leaders. I tend to uh, have difficulty with, with um, giving feedback, or I have difficulty with difficult conversations, or, or I'm not being strong enough or firm enough, or I'm not, or I'm being too firm and too controlling. Whatever the the thing that the problem that our client comes to, they're basically saying, Fick, please help me fix this problem. Well, that problem is more likely than not a pattern or underneath the problem or underneath the behavior that they're wanting to change, there's a pattern. And that pattern I refer to as a paradigm, a personal paradigm. It may actually have multiple paradigms creating that pattern. And our job is to help invite that client to shift the pattern that's underneath the problem. 
And so that, to me, is what transformation is about. And in order to um, invite a transformation, therefore, we need to understand the nature of paradigms, personal paradigms, how they form and how they kind of coalesce and lock in place. And if we don't understand that, then our efforts to try to help the client transform will often fall short. We'll get stuck somewhere and we won't know how to get help the client get unstuck because we don't understand the nature of paradigms. So it, it really starts with understanding the nature of paradigms. And then I've, of course, thought through quite a bit, how does one go about then shifting a paradigm? Not so easy necessarily, but very doable. Anyway, I'll stop there and see what well, that. I think you beautifully teed up the next question for me is how about understanding the nature of paradigms? Where would you start in helping us to do that in our conversation? Yeah, yeah well, um, by the way, I, I'm happily giving away everything in the book. So um, uh, uh, I, obviously we're not going to, the book has more than this, but uh, happy we give it, give this all away, partly because my purpose is to share and help the world uh, get better. So uh, especially the world of coaches. So Paradigms form interestingly many different ways. And, and I, I, I very much enjoyed that process of, of inquiry for myself about how do, how do these form. Um, I would say there's at least three different ways in which paradigms form and probably more. But the fundamental ones are, uh, depending on what kind of paradigms we're looking at, and we, we should talk about what are, what, what are some example paradigms. But they form often from our culture and either the culture of the society in which we live, depending on how strong that culture is. So for example, Japan, maybe China to a little lesser extent, Korea, many of the Asian cultures are very strong cultures, very strong, clear rules for how to be. And you get born into this culture and the family has already perhaps unconsciously adopted the rules of their culture. And the people all around you are behaving consistent with that culture. And you go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a young person. I'm looking at all these people. I don't know how to live life, but they seem to know how to live life. So I'll just follow them. And I'll unconsciously adopt the rules that they are, they are following. Um, thinking that that's the way to be in life. And I don't do it. I'm not aware I'm doing this as a little kid. I'm just doing it. So that's one way. And it, and it shapes many of our beliefs and assumptions about what the world should be or how to engage in the world. Simple rules, how to greet, how to say hello, how to, um, how to eat, um, when to eat, all those kinds of th rules are just out there and I follow them unconsciously and it, and it, and it locks in place in my mind until such point as I start to question my culture, which doesn't happen for a while. It happens, starts to happen typically around age 10 or 11 or 12. But until then, those rules get locked in place and unconsciously shape our being. That would be one, just the environment around me. A, a second would be, I, I'm born, and if you study personality, it becomes kind of interesting how do personalities form, but I'm born and I'm born with a gift and a, a capability. And um, uh, I do something and it, it works. Like I show some 
more intelligence than my than the average kid. And my parents smile every time I do something that's really intelligent or every time I do something that's unusual, they smile and laugh and go, oh, you're so great. And I learn, oh, I should do that again. I'm getting a lot of juju when I behave this way. And so their response to me starts to teach me what is okay or not okay or what I should or shouldn't do. And then the third way is through trauma. And this becomes the most interesting one for me, which is if something happens traumatically, either a, a shock, a, tr a shock trauma, like I witnessed something that's awful, or my parents beat me up or something like that, or developmental trauma, a repeated absence of something or presence of something that is not helping me grow, I then have to adjust to that trauma, cope with it in some way. And the coping strategy that I use then forms a pattern and a paradigm and a belief that in order to survive, I have to do this kind of thing. There are probably other ways, and if we if we thought together, we would we we could oh, you know how we what we what we learn our educational system teaches us our paradigms. There are other ways, but those are three pretty fundamental that often form early on. Mm. Yeah, that's that's great. And so then I can imagine they 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 coalesce in some way to then create this personal paradigm that has um, brought the client success in their life, but I'm hearing also, yeah, that then it's also limiting in some way. Perhaps they've changed roles, they've been promoted, something's happened and suddenly now their, their paradigm is getting in the way. So how, how do you um, help identify? Because, you know, in one sense, we could say, wow, that, those are like three quite big areas already or rich areas, the three you named. So how do you help identify a paradigm with somebody that, that yeah. you know, would be the input, the one, you know, that's the one we need to work with. Uh, it, for me, it's a, it's a, 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 a joyous process of doing that. It's um, um, in some sense, many coaches and that I know believe that that's the key. And I would agree it's part of it. Um, and it's certainly an early part, but you know, the, the client, let's make, let's get a little concrete here client comes to him and think of one of my clients. Um, well, here's a good one. It's, it's related to my client that I'll be meeting when we're done with our call. Um, he, he says, Keith, I think I'm hesitant and I want to get bolder. I, as a leader. And um, sometimes people don't understand what I'm, what I'm trying to do. I, I don't put out my expectations very clearly and cleanly. So please help me fix that behavior pattern. I want to be able to be clean in my expectations and I want to be able to put out my vision strongly and cleanly and clearly. And, and I don't do that very well. And I know that my supervisor gave me feedback. And so I want to, I want to, I want that. So teach me. That was his first you know, teach me, you 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 know something about leadership, Keith, you've written these books and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to be taught by a, what I what I imagine is a master of leadership. I then go, well, I'm not so sure I'm a master, but that's okay. I'll still work with you. So so 
it's really often clients don't ask for a transformation of the deeper self. They ask for a shift in behavior and to learn how to behave better. Um, and, and so that's the inquiry begins. And, and I go, oh, that's interesting. I'm wondering, um, client, um, how long has this been a pattern for you? Oh, that's a good question, Keith. As long as I can remember, client says. Well, let's see if we can dig a little more and see if you can remember a time. Were you always this way? He says, oh, hadn't thought about that. No, I'm not. I wasn't always this way. In fact, when I was really young, I was quite bold. Huh. That's interesting. Well, do you have a sense, client, of when it changed? Now that I think about it. You know, so what's interesting about this little you know, story that I'm telling, and this is almost exactly how it happened, is that he hadn't thought about it. Just knew he behaved this way and wanted to change it. And, and so the inquiry is often that curiosity about when and where and how did it form early on this particular behavioral pattern. And he discovered that it was somewhere around age 10 or 11. And he um, shared with me a, uh, a story of what happened to him at that age when he moved from one school to another and what had happened. You know how middle school kids can be kind of cruel at times and how when he was feeling his oats early on, he went to a new school and he was the new kid. And they started to make fun of him and some of the things that he was doing. Um, and he started to feel very hesitant. Kind of lost his mojo. And so we started to look at what was the, be thing, what was the, the trauma in effect going on for you at that time? And more importantly, what decisions did you make unconsciously about yourself and about life and about people that you needed to make in order to survive that trauma? And, and so the inquiry is almost always like that for me. When did it begin? And then how did it begin? And what decisions did you make or... What actions did you take in order to deal with whatever it is that was hard to deal with? And almost always that's the emergence. Um, so the inquiry begins early on. Interestingly, they don't come to me for that reason necessarily, but something about my question has them realize, oh my goodness, something's underneath it. And we've got to get underneath it and we've got to shift the underneath part of it. If he's going to change his behavioral pattern, I don't really know if I'm answering your question now, but I, I, yeah. I think I'm in the ballpark. Would you then end up perhaps in a place where he's got a sense of this schema or this, this pattern that, you know, he's taken on, maybe it's been unconscious. Now it's become conscious. Uh, you know, it's like a bargain or a commitment he's made. Um, yeah. And yeah. So I'm just curious, like, where you go from there, like it sounds like it gets clarified. I'm wondering, 
how you would then help to transform that in some way. Yeah. Well, so hopefully sometime we'll talk about the whole arc of transformation, but I think we're getting to it anyway, as we, as we, as we talk about this. Um, But it seems to me that the insight that I have something underneath, we'll call it a paradigm. Some, you might call it a belief system, but I think it's much more than a belief system um, about what is good or good or how to act or how to be. The recognition that there's something underneath is, is a good beginning place. Most clients don't necessarily recognize it or they recognize in concept what, that there is something underneath and they come to us to, in hopes to find that underneath. So here he finds it. He sees what's underneath it. And he goes, okay, well, I want, I need to shift the underneath part, um, the deeper part. And, and that's where it becomes a little complex and not so easy. Identifying it may be the easy part, but shifting it may not. And, and the reason is that the, the, the choices that the client has made that, that any of us have made in that moment of trauma or in that developmental trauma or a, a conscious, mostly unconsciously then get rinsed and repeated throughout their whole life to the point that it is a powerful habit, not just to have the behavior, but to have the thought that drives the behavior. And it feels often like a survival habit, something I needed to do in order to survive the difficult experience that I was having. And so somewhere along the way, I, I as a human being and this client as a human being says, this is not just a, a habit, but I will not be able to live life without this pattern. I've actually gotten through. I made it through middle school and high school. I survived. I actually became smarter and better for it. I, I, I formed some strategies that worked. And so all paradigms in some sense have an upside and a downside, like a coin. Or all strategies that we form have an upside and a downside. And I formed and I reached the upside. I became, I, I overcame that difficulty. And I basically said, I'm going to show them. This is my client now. I'm going to show them they're not going to take me down. I'll just be smarter and better than them. So he works incredibly hard with enormous determination and drive to be smarter and better. And he becomes smarter and better and becomes quite brilliant in some ways. It's not just a survival strategy to survive. It is a success strategy to succeed. How do I let go of that? If I let go of my paradigm, aren't I letting go of the very thing that has caused my success. So the examination looks at the coin of the paradigm, the upside and the downside. And and he has got to be convinced somewhere in his psyche that by shifting the paradigm, I don't lose the upside. Now, of course, I don't get dumber and less capable if I let go of the pattern, but that's the fear because it's been rinsed and repeated for 20, 30 years. And so now it's not just a strategy, it's a habit that's 
deeply rooted, deeply rooted in my conditioning. And if I'm going to shift the paradigm, it's we're now in habit shifting land. And so part of the, the shifting of the paradigm requires that not only do I help the client understand it and see the, the flip side of the coin nat- nature of it, but also little by little learn to let go of the habitual thought process that's underneath it. So part of what I do at that point is simply offer them what I call learning task, kind of like homework to do, mm. to see if he can detect the multiple ways in which he unconsciously repeats the thought process that is underneath the paradigm. And so I give him a test and I have him keep a journal with him. And multiple times a day, I have him write a little bit in the journal. What is my thought? And he starts to see that the thought is repeated over and over and over again. And he recognized the, the deep habitual nature of that thought in many situations. And now he sees how deeply rooted it is. And after that, later on, we start to explore what would be an alternative thought or alternative way of understanding a situation. And then start to little by little develop a different thought. So we have to explore that different thought. We've got to examine it. We have to wonder about it. What would be a different thought? Maybe even role play it, play with it, do some imaginal techniques until he's clear what an alternative thought would be and then start to form a new habit of that alternative thought. And then he's got to have success with that. Otherwise, he's going to revert right back to the paradigm. And um, what about, do you do any work in actually um, helping to integrate that part of him or collection of parts that, you know, when he was younger arose in response to those adverse situations um, I'm just wondering whether you do any work to have those feel seen or integrated because I, I share that because um, I've found that, yeah, like often clients, um, if you're not careful, then will want to um, compensate, you know, they might they might see that I've, oh, I, I've been doing this thing, it's brought me success, but it's also, um, you know, it's also creating limits. So now I'm going to do something different, but it's just another part of them that's saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not enough. I need to compensate for this behavior. I'm going to kind of overpower it. And, yes. and then that locks it in. So actually, you know, using something like internal family systems or, or even relationally between me and the, the client that I can support them to actually, which I hear you describe very clearly too, recognize the beautiful intelligence mm-hmm. in that, 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 paradigm that arose you know and that we're not trying to um change it right now even so it's like a there's even a dropping of the change agenda i'm just wondering what comes up as i share this stuff oh yeah the, the very same i um i i love that comment that you just made about interrupt the change agenda because of course the client wants to change and wants to do it quickly um you know as expediently as quickly as possible um, get on with the new life that I imagine I could I could have, and um, yes, uh, very much so. So the constant, it's almost like a cosmology, an inner cosmology that exists within and around the paradigm, where um, 
other parts start to join with the strategy. Um, parts of themselves join with the strategy to 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 lock that strategy in place. Sometimes there's a there's a inner critic that just keeps pounding on himself um, that makes it hard and painful to change um, because if he fails to change quickly, um, he will beat himself up uh, to uh, because he didn't do it right or good because he wants to do it right or good and that's part of his success strategy. And so that inner critic as part of his inner cosmology will will, if it's a raging inner critic, will be uh, prevent him from even looking deeply because it's too painful to look deeply. Too much self-judgment arises. So we got to look at the inner critic and its role in the process. Maybe there's a protector or a part of him that's protecting something inside himself. Maybe there's a, um, a part of him that has a belief that I can't do this, you know, a voice inside that I'm not worthy um, could be present in in and around this paradigm. So without a doubt, I, I think internal family systems or voice dialogue are the two particular models of understanding the self that come to mind that I work with them. I, I do some parts work or I do some some voice dialogue. Um, and, and the client in that process is really just just understanding how does this thing happen? What are the mechanisms inside myself? So instead of trying to change too quickly, they're learning about themselves. And if I do my job well, that learning becomes uh, um, as joyous or interesting or fascinating of a process as I can make it. Um, And for most clients, it becomes fascinating to learn that all these tentacles and these little, the inner cosmology is, is locked in, a, in, a, in sometimes a rather complex way and sometimes rather simple. It's hard to know until I get in there and play. Um, but the play is important. How, did this, how does this get, get locked? And how do I do that? Oh, when, when this happens and that person says this, I have that thought which then causes me to behave this way. Oh, that's the rinse and repeat that is, I've been going on. You know, and I don't know what it is until I get in there. But it's it's a lot of fun. I find. I don't know if you find it, uh, or, or yeah. fun, fun, fun. Not in a woohoo. I'm enjoying doing this to you, but but fun, fascination kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. To to be like amazed in the process, you know. Yeah. Of how incredible we are, you know. It's in this this beauty of these parts that can all arise and coalesce, and you yeah. know, be operating, and the intelligence inside of them. And the compassion and the precision that we can bring in order to um, help create this kind of awareness that becomes very potent that I hear you describe. I think I think I totally get what you mean. Like it, it is like fun in inverted commas. It's like, um, you know, I can find myself deeply fulfilled by that kind of connection and that kind of exploration with someone. Yeah. And yeah. What, what I what I like hearing you say too is that um and we might be jumping ahead a bit too far but you said then you kind of help identify a new belief and uh you know that you're actually beginning to kind of practice that i think you said belief uh that would you know um i'm not sure what the phrase was a new a new thought like a new habit 
Um, it was more a new thought like a process, yeah. yeah. New thought process, that's it, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Um, um, and I'm just curious what that process is like, you know, like, and maybe we're talking now about the arc as well, so we can weave that in. Yeah. Because I, I think um, maybe that's another place where coaches struggle, you know, it's like, okay, we've done this excavatory work where there's some integration taking place, but yeah, still, how do you actually begin to embody that new way that would allow me to be bold, for example? Yeah, yeah. Uh, before I forget, I want—I don't want to lose that you said you were enjoying being amazed by it. Um, I, I immediately had this thought of maze. You know, a maze being that which we circuitously try, find our way to the center and then out again, and it is a maze that we're exploring, and it is amazing to explore that maze back to your question that that was just a fun wordplay for me um so the the new form so let's talk about what is a paradigm mm. um because it it'll help shape how i i respond to the question of how did how do you develop identify and develop the new form um I think that was the essence of your question. Yeah. So many people equate paradigm with a belief system. And I don't quite equate it that way, although beliefs are part of a paradigm. The way I, I'm going to make a, um, describe the simple version of what I think a paradigm is. I think it's actually even more complex than I, than I write about in the book. But, you know, when you write a book or when you write anything, kind of um, try to get, get to the essence of something and, and speak about it. I might write three books to describe the complicated nature of even a paradigm itself. Um, but a paradigm in my mind at its essence at its core is a strategy. I'll try to draw it in, in the air here. The picture right here, a box, and this box is that strategy, the behavioral pattern itself. It's the thing that the, the client is saying, I want to change this behavioral pattern. And this behavioral pattern underneath it would have a bunch of actions. You know, not just one thing that I do, but I do it in a variety of ways, multiple ways in which I hold back or withhold. My behavioral strategy is to not, not speak my mind or, or agree with people and not speak my mind or my truth. And that's the core of the pattern, let's say. And then underneath it are multiple actions that, that uh, uh, evince that strategy. Um, maybe sometimes I just don't say anything. And then other times when I speak, I, I speak... Uh, uh, in vague terms, or maybe other times I always say to the person, I like what you're saying, let me just offer another thought. And so I soften my thought, you know, lots of different ways in which that strip behavioral pattern gets um, evidenced in action. So now that's part of the paradigm. And then there's consequences for that set of actions 
and the outcomes would be part of the paradigm. I do this, here are my actions, and here are my outcomes. Now we got to ask the question, what causes this behavioral strategy? And now we get into what are my beliefs? What are my assumptions? What are my needs? And what are my goals, consciously or unconsciously? And maybe we could even add feelings. So beliefs and assumptions, goals and goals and needs and feelings all shape the strategy. And what I'm saying is the totality of all that I just said is the paradigm. It's not just the beliefs. We often equate paradigms with belief. We often believe that if we just unlock the belief and change the belief, the paradigm will shift. Well, I say nay, nay. It's because if, if it's a more complex constellation, a paradigm is more complex constellation, then shifting the belief is just one piece of it. So if this is a paradigm, in effect, we should be able to map this. When a client comes to us and says, I have this pattern, early on, I'm wanting to map the paradigm that's underneath the pattern. And if we can map a paradigm, we should be able to map an alternative paradigm. So somewhere along the way, early on, I'm helping the client see their paradigm and mapping it. And then later on, what I'm doing is identify an alternative paradigm and then mapping it. Well, what would be an alternative belief? What would be an alternative set of assumptions? What would be an alternative goal? What be a different need that you might have or a, a, a different way of getting your needs met that would produce a, a wholly different strategy? And what would that wholly different strategy look like if we had those beliefs and those needs and those goals? And then now what actions might you take? And so forming the map, the new map, the desired map becomes an important part of the process. And then the last phase is enacting that map and practicing it and rinsing and repeating until it becomes a habit. So that's took a while to get to the answer to my answer to your question, but you can see why I needed to do it that way to get to. There's never a simple answer, is there? Maybe there is, and I never come to it. I don't know. Well, I think that's really helpful what you just shared, actually. So, um, so you've got this these two maps, yeah, the current paradigm, which was unconscious, and then the new paradigm. And how do you? you and then you said through practice, rinse and repeat. We because that's the question I have is. How do you have that become something embodied and it doesn't just stay at the level of like, I've got an intellectual awareness of the two maps and, but I'm still, I'm still locked in. Like what's that process? You know, we talked about something like internal family systems that can actually really start to create, um, you know, freedom from, from parts recognition when they show up. So that's creating choice. Uh, but, um, yeah. What, what's that what's that path like um you've already started to describe it but yeah. well so so we'll have my hands represent the maps um this is the current or prior paradigm and this is for everyone um you're raving your left hand now because uh, the there's a bunch hand. of people who listen to this on audio only so my left hand right 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 uh so left to right past to future so left hand is past or present and so here's the interesting thing in, to me as you ask that question. I think 
too often coaches go to the desired paradigm quickly. Client says, I want to get rid of this old paradigm. Tired of it. It's not working for me. And I want a new paradigm and I want it fast and I want it good. And, and, and then coaches are, are trained often to go via positiva. So, so we got to go back and kind of look at, look at the, the fundamental um, paradigms that coaches hold often, not all, but many, about the nature of coaching. And, and if you asked many coaches, they would say, I was trained to learn that the fundamental difference between coaching and therapy is that coaches go to the what do we want to create mode. Coaches go to uh, helping a client identify what is our goal, what is our image, what do I want to create, hold on strong, commit to that goal, commit to that way of being, and that's what's different about coaching than, than, than therapy, or one of the key differences. And so I, as a coach, are always future-focused. And I learn how to ask good questions. What would be an alternative belief? And how do we then put that belief in place? And so we almost go too quickly to that via positiva, that, that, that uh, positive image of what, what I want to be. That might be useful in some simple paradigms and paradigms that are easily unlockable and easily shiftable. But this becomes the meaningful problem I see with that strategy. Many strategies, many paradigms form and get locked in place for a reason. And until we satisfy, help the client satisfy the very fundamental reason that that paradigm get created, got created in the first place, they're going to try on this new pattern, this new paradigm, but then revert back to the old rather quickly. Um, the simple example I often use is dieting. You know, many people who try to lose weight and diet through diets, they, 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 the, the coach works on the, the new diet, get the new diet in place, learn the new habits, rinse and repeat. And it lasts for two months, three months, four months, a year almost inevitably the person reverts back to the old pattern because the via negativa hadn't been fully done. So if you think of the old pattern and the examination of the old pattern, we'll call that via negativa, looking at the pain and the suffering that created the pattern in the first place, that's sometimes interesting, but also painful to uh, recognize the old patterns. We go to the via via positiva too quickly without having done the via negativa, without having examined the old paradigm, then they will revert back because they haven't figured out what is it going to take to let go. So letting go of the old paradigm becomes crucially important for locking in a new paradigm, um, grieving the old Anyway, you're, I can see you're about to ask, well, offer a thought. Yeah, I mean, in a way, you're, you're about to answer it because that, that's, um, and maybe we've been talking about that, but you said grieving it because you said, how do we satisfy the old paradigm? How, how do we let go? How do we satisfy it? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, well, let's take, the, take my client as an, as an example. 
um, he's satisfying by obfuscating his view and not speaking his truth. He's playing it safe. He's protecting the 10-year-old in him. And in some sense, the 10-year-old is the one that is driving the strategy. And so that need to be protected is still present for him as an adult. It is for me. I don't walk around, just do things and get beaten up. And I want to be protected to some extent too. So let's treat that need as precious. Hmm. That need to be protected, to need to, to not be so judged, to need not to be rejected. That's a need. That's foundational. So part of what he, he needs to do and he has been doing is recognizing that he is actually more safe than he realizes. He is more equipped than he realizes, but also he's not yet fully equipped. So what does it mean to equip him with the capacity to feel safe and not rejected? The answer with this client is whenever I'm rejected, I reject myself. I say to myself, I did it badly. I beat myself up whenever somebody rejects me. I say, I did it wrongly and badly. I blame myself. And so that blaming of self has been an important feature of my paradigm. He's got to learn to not blame himself when somebody else blames him. He's got to learn how to not take it personally when somebody reacts to him harshly. And so we then actually start to look at the take it personally paradigm, which is embedded in his larger paradigm. When he learns not to take it personally, when he learns that when somebody says something that feels rejecting, it's not rejecting him, it's rejecting his thought or his idea. I am not my idea. Up until now, I am my idea, and it gets rejected, I get rejected. So I have to separate, learn how to separate. And, and, and so that when that rejection of my idea comes, I go, oh, they just disagree with my idea. That's okay. That's part of life. And I'll stay in the game and not reject myself when he rejects the idea. So learning how to satisfy his own need not to be rejected requires that he not reject himself. Hmm. That practice of learning how to not reject himself became an important part of our journey. So he satisfies the need with himself. Not by going out and saying, do you love me? Do you like me? Does, do, you know, am I okay? Am I okay? But by holding the point of view that when I'm, my idea is rejected, I'm not rejected, and I'm still okay. So we examined that paradigm. We found that that was the key piece of the paradigm that locked it in place. 
started to develop that separation from I am not my idea, therefore I am not rejected, therefore I am okay, and if I'm okay, I'm able to continue to explore and, and play. I think I'm making sense, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it has that kind of quality. That's why the examination of the paradigm is important in its fullness, and then eventually he gets his need met by himself. In other cases, maybe you get the need by having a certain support system that you turn to. You know, it depends on the paradigm. So, uh, but, it, but the need has got to be gotten, has got to be met. And once it's met, then he can let go of the paradigm, the fundamental paradigm. Yeah. A couple of things come up. One is, I, I hear that this is developmental, you know, that he's actually, that, that there's a learning here that he could apply to other places that um, in some way he's been fused with a certain part of thinking and that now he can see, um, yeah, you know, it's my idea that someone's, someone's critiqued and it's not me, you know, yeah. and that's a shift. He's become more spacious. And so that I, I can see that playing out in other places in his life. Cause I, I remember that there was a phase in my life where there was just a real shift around, um, that inner critic, you know, the, the inner, like being fused with my inner critic and, and, yes. and like, I didn't have to take myself so seriously anymore, you know, um, <laughs> it was quite a relief. Um, yeah. but, um, the other thing I'm wondering is, uh, how, how somatic is this process as well? You know, like, um, how, how much you, it, because I found that to be an important place to include you know the the somatic aspect the the emotive effective aspect of it that the work is is holistic and not just um you know residing in a in a rational sphere and i just wonder if you yeah that's yeah. uh, a great it's a great inquiry first i want to say i don't think i'm expert in this area you know some people coaches are are have a therapeutic uh, background to the point and have worked somatically their own work to the point where they're able to guide others in somatic. I'm really good at being with a client as they're emoting, as they're feeling, either tender or, or joyous or everything in between. I, I feel like I hold space well and I value and recognize that, you know, much like, who's that guy that wrote being present? I can't remember the German guy, I remember his name, but he talks no, about- Martin Buber. Yeah, no, 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 no. More, more recent, but he talks about the pain body. Oh, um, it's not, um, I mean, I'm thinking, there's Eckhart Tolle who writes Eckhart, about the pain Eckhart body. Tolle, but, yeah. Eckhart Tolle, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so these, Things that happen to us, especially if it's trauma-based, especially if it's trauma-based, if the paradigm formed through trauma, that, that, that trauma gets locked into our pain body. And the trauma, by the way, isn't the event itself. It's the what we did with the event that locks the pain. It's our interpretation of the event, what we, the meaning we made out of that event the decisions we made, then get locked into our pain body. And 
because of that somatic, especially if it's trauma-related paradigm, is really important. If it's one of those other causes of a paradigm, the somatic is not as crucial because there's not a pain body there. It's just a habit that we unconsciously form. But I don't know, at least 50% of all the paradigms that I work with are, are trauma related. And so you're speaking something that's fundamental. Holding space is that minimally what's needed because there will be tears and grieving and my job as a coach in that moment is just to hold space and love the client up and, 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 and minimally there's more to somatic work than that. And what I want to say is I'm not well versed in the more. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm, I couldn't say to you, here's how you go about when the pain body is locked in very strongly Here's how to do somatic work. There's some people that do movement. Some people do mat work, go on the mat and lie down. And, you know, sometimes they, um, there's a famous psychiatrist who, in the 50s and 60s who um, did a lot of body work that unlocks some of those pain body, features of the pain body. I don't think I'm real skilled in that. If it requires that with a client, and you as a coach are not skilled in it, then, then partnering with somebody who is skilled is a good idea. And that's what I do. Mm. If it feels like it's that deep and that locked in, you know, I'd say work with a somatic therapist or somatic coach um, because I'm not quite as skillful in that particular arena. Mm. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that and, but I do think what you're saying about holding space and that loving presence, you know, even though you said there's more to it than that, that is fundamental. And, you know, of course, there's been countless studies that have proved in, uh, in therapy that the quality of the relationship is at least as, as significant, if not more than the actual, you know, technique or approach deployed. And so um, for me, because also in those moments, you're, you can actually model, and this is where, you can take something like internal family systems and actually it's more playing out between you and the client. You know, you're modeling um, like a loving, accepting presence, which is the thing they didn't have in that moment when that paradigm was formed. Either internally they weren't accepting them or others around them weren't. And so, you know, just that kind of presence and, and, and allowing what's there to be there can be very potent. So oh, yeah. I pr yeah. appreciate you naming that. Um, and well, I guess there's, I have a, some other questions, but I want to ask you first, um, what, what have we not talked about in this process that you think is important to bring in? Huh. I'm appreciating this kind of tour de force through your thinking around transformation. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm enjoying this as well. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say one more thing. Um, and maybe we can also then just talk about the, the arc of transformation. But the thing that surprised, I surprised myself as I, for years and years and years, examined um, the nature of transformation for myself, just for my own 
evolution and transformation, but also as I'm, since I'm, I'm an agent of transformation for others, the thing that surprised me the most was how important understanding habits are. And I, I, I'll, I, I wrote about this in the book, but it's, uh, I have a friend who I meet with regularly and almost every time I meet with him, we have very soulful, deep conversations. And um, he almost always says, I had a big insight. I'm transformed. And interestingly, over 15 years, it's the same thing that he has the insight about and the same thing that he declares he's transformed about. And, and he, it took a long time before I finally said to him, you know, you've been telling me for years that you've been transformed. How is it that every year, you know, another year later, you're telling me you transformed about the very same thing as if it's, as if he's locked in a groundhog day of, of <laughs> he's locked in this, <laughs> can't get out of his paradigm, but he has the insight. And so um, this has become a little bit of my, my symbol of what's the problem with, with transformation is we often equate it with insight. We often think that if we can help the client get the insight, that that will magically cause the transformation. And it does sort of, but why does the client keep reverting back? Why does my friend have the insight, think he's transformed, and then two weeks later behaves the same way until he has the insight again, comes to me the next time and says, I have an insight, I was transformed. Why does he keep doing that? And, and, and I think the simple answer is insight is not enough. And the last phase of the uh, transformational process is, is the, not the learning of the new habit, it's the adoption of the new habit. And until that new habit is secured in place, then I, I say this is not a transformation. This is an insight, but not a transformation. It goes very back to, to Kurt Lewin's simple model of change, unfreeze, change, refreeze. Very simple, elegant model that guides all, all changes. And the unfreeze is what we've talked a lot about. How do you un unlock and how do you discover what the paradigm is and unlock it? How do you learn new behaviors? That's the change. But the refreeze is about forming and locking in a new habit. And the, the surprise for me, and I'll leave it at this for now, we don't have enough time to explore the nature of habit formation, but the surprise for me, and it, it's kind of a joyous surprise, is, is that learning how to form and coalesce a new habit is every bit as important as the insight. And we, I, for 25 years, 30 years of coaching, gave the habit phase short shrift because I was so enamored with the insight. I love that insight, just like my friend loves it. I have an insight, Keith. I just discovered something I hadn't seen. I'm so enamored with that. It's such a wonderful, joyous moment when that insight occurs that we fail to realize the habit formation is crucial. And I know you said we haven't got time. Hopefully we've got a few minutes. Um, 
I know we could talk about this a long time, but you know, if you if we've got a few minutes, what do you want to say to coaches listening now that that you've learned that's really like the, the heart of locking new habits in? Well, briefly, um, I, I I will um, I should get royalties on this, but um, I would say read the book Atomic Habits. Um, yeah, by uh, James Clear, I think his name. It's it's it, it was not my first book about habits, but the most clear, lucid expression of how habits form and how do they change. He doesn't go into paradigms a lot. I don't think he's a paradigm guy. I don't think he's a transformational guy, but he is certainly a habit, learning new habits kind of guy. And he describes the nature of habits in a really lucid way. And, and just read the book. Um, it's a good book. And, and it. I don't know why my accent is changing, but... Uh, <laughs> channeling the spirit of James Clear. Channeling James Clear, yeah. But read the book. I just became Midwestern all of a sudden. Um, re, uh, 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 to appreciate uh, the 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 simple, elegant uh, adoption of a new habit and the rinse and repeat, necessary rinse and repeat. So I'll, I'll say one more thing. He calls it atomic habits. Atomic meaning small, tiny. And I think that's meaningful. So what I do based on that simple idea is I don't ask the client to change everything and change it all, all at once. I say, let's take a simple one. Let's take a little one. Let's take a little feature of this habit. Let's work on um, when somebody disagrees with you strongly and it seems judgmental and it seems like you're, uh, you're, um, being rejected, let's see if you can remember to introduce the thought that I am not my ideas, I am much more than that, and they are not rejecting me. So let's try on that little habit of remembering that I am not my habit. I, pardon me, I am not my idea. And then learn that habit. And then he does that for a little bit, and he can do that. He's capable, and he gets a little bit of success from it, a little bit of joy of, oh, it didn't sting so much when I thought this way versus the way in which I used to think. And so he develops that little habit, and then another little habit. And then almost like the, the features of the new paradigm, let's take them a bit by bit. And in rather short order, two or three months, the new habit is, is, is forming fully but bit by bit by bit so that he can have a success experience. He can feel good about his new paradigm and he's feeling it's working. And the more it works, the more he's eager to do more of it. And the more that happens, it starts to, you know, um, cycle upward. Snowball. Or, yeah, yeah, snowball yeah. yeah. Exponential yeah. kind of yeah. enthusiasm um, to keep going. Yeah, there's a lot more there, and even in the habit area, but it's it's it. I would say that's its essence for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I um I was a bit humbled to discover myself how habitual. You know, I mean, over the years, how habitual we are, but how you know automated my daily routine is in a way. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like. Oh God, I'm like I'm like an animal or something. Actually, you know, if I'm yeah 
of just like repeating these habits over and over and they're all linked to my environment you know my relationships in this way that's a bit you know i thought i was this conscious being you know liberated but actually you know um but but the, the 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 flip side of that is if i start to make little changes in my environment in in my routine and they compound over time it has a significant impact yeah, you know, yeah. On, on the outcomes of my life so there's a there's a flip side to that so yeah, yeah. um well I, i'm aware of the time i think you know there's there's other questions i had but maybe we have to do a part two particularly want to ask you about and you know contracting with people in a way that increases the potential for transformation that's one of the things i see you writing about and other questions but i want to well express my gratitude to you yeah. actually keith yeah i really feel your dedication to this practice and sincerity in in what you've shared today Thank and you. i think it's a real service i think people listening to this will 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 be inspired and learn from it. So thank you. I hope so. Thank you. Um, yeah. So the contracting, maybe I'll just say a little bit, uh, uh, maybe, right, maybe, cool. maybe uh, tantalize. Yeah. Let's uh, were you, were you asking me to talk about contracting or were you? Well, I was saying we could do it next time, but let's leave. Maybe, maybe, maybe next time, but let's, let's live a little, leave a little teaser on it. I think it's important. You know, I think, I think, we consciously or unconsciously form agreements with each other all the time. And, and, and here's just the question without giving an answer. What form of agreement would we want to form if we're going to do paradigm shifting work? What kind of agreement do we need to make with the client and the client with him or herself to engage in paradigm shifting work, I think becomes an interesting question. So we'll just kind of leave it there. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Where, where can we find out more about your work yeah, and your book as well? Yeah, yeah. So the book is The Art of Transformational Coaching. Um, it's out and available, Amazon and other places to, to get it. Um, uh, I have a website called, called artoftransformationalcoaching.com. Um, and there you can learn about the workshop that I offer. I offer two workshops. I offer a, a found, foundational workshop or a introductory workshop. Um, it's a 10, 10 week experience. And then I offer a practicum where people who are interested in going deeper, they join me in, um, they join me in, in, in a deeper inquiry and practice. Um, uh, to to learn the the process. What, I want to say one more thing about it, which is, while I have developed a model and an arc of transformation and a way of understanding the process, um, it's not the be all end all. I I I would love, if nothing else, I would love coaches to think deeply on it and either adopt the model that I offer or come to their own think deeply about the nature of transformation and, and um, be more grounded in their own process for how I guide a client through this. And so, um, you know, in the practicum, I don't say, you know, you missed step four of my, of my model. I, I go, oh, that was an interesting way of approaching it. Oh, that kind of worked. 
let's let's wonder about that and and why did that work and um i i'm not teaching the model and training people as much as i am joining them in 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 the deeper investigation of transformation and so it's i learn and it's fun um, but the, the introduction is really teaching the model mm. and, and as a foundation but anyway nice yeah. thanks keith yeah i also have another website which is my 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 primary work it's my consulting and coaching it's called leadership-pathways.com uh, leadership-pathways.com and you can learn about me there but just if you google my name i'm i'm out there here we are we're at the end of the podcast just a, a heads up again if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create then head to coachesrising.com Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. <laughs>